0: Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. Last week, uh, I felt uh, really compelled to get out of the book of James and to talk about what God would say to a city that's burning down. And uh, this week and next week, I also feel compelled to preach something uh, special, uh, signifying the date and the time that we are in we were uh, very overjoyed uh, to announce that Lord willing on September the 13th we're going to restart uh, everything we're going to restart our adult bible fellowship ministry our children's ministries and and all the rest there are so many of our church family who aren't yet back at church and we're kind of getting the the seating right and correct that we don't need an overflow anymore there's room for everyone and we're trying our best to lay everything out and get it all right but the uh, The opportunity we have here is that the church has sort of been uh, unplugged and uh, now we're going to restart it. And I don't know my uh, computer, like how to defrag a hard drive or whatever you call it, but I think when when the computer doesn't work, you unplug it and then you plug it back in and hope that it works the next time. But now that we are restarting the church, It is the case that somehow maybe the hard drive got a little fragmented or the system got a bug or a virus because these last several months have not been easy. And now that we're restarting the church, I want this week uh, to talk about four attitudes that if we will embrace these attitudes together, uh, whatever went wrong while we were apart will be immediately and gloriously fixed if we together would adopt these four attitudes. And we want to look into the word of God together to uh, four different um, selected scriptures. But as we prepare to open God's word, let's pray. Holy Spirit of the living God, this preaching event now requires gravity and warmth. Gravity because of the utterly serious nature of the subject being addressed and warmth because of the beloved nature of the people who are assembled here. So living Spirit of God, would you unite gravity and warmth in the unmistakable unction which only comes from you, Holy Spirit. Speak to us now, amen. Four attitudes to adopt as we restart to church. Attitude number one, spirit-filled revival. Or the, the posture that we wanna come back and restart with is a posture where we expect spirit-filled revival. We could turn to the end of Acts chapter 2 to support this, where the the spiritual power and authority of the church is so great that the church grows. We could turn to the end of Acts chapter 4. Let's turn maybe to a little bit of a curious place in the end of Hebrews chapter 12. I want to read from God's word here in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 25. The first attitude or posture to adopt is is an expectation of spirit-filled revival. Hebrews 12, verses 25 through 29. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more, I'll shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken That is things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken shall remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. The church needs to adopt a posture of expectancy towards spirit-filled revival. Sometimes we have to define our points by being clear about what they deny, not only what they affirm, but what they deny. So what this means is an attitude of spirit-filled revival, not the same old worldly boredom, not the same old fleshly boredom. Somebody said once, and I think it's true, it's kind of a sad truism. Jesus did something remarkable. He turned water into wine. But the followers of Jesus in the church have managed to do something pathetic. They've turned wine back into water. The church of Jesus Christ is the only place on this planet that has been established by a kingdom which cannot be shaken. And yet the church of Jesus Christ in so many of her iterations and in so many of her days spends all of her time lapping up the same boring water that everyone in the world is arguing about and griping about and complaining about. We need to embrace the fact that because the Holy Spirit of God dwells in us, we have received a kingdom that is unshakable. We now uh, trounce upon the world with a joy that is unbreakable. It's like the church, Jesus is saying to the church, you have the gospel, you, you have uh, the, the, most, the most expensive, the most delicious wine that has, ever, that has ever been poured out in this world. So why would you go to the same old boring water puddles that the world goes to? Revival is that season of time when the church actually recognizes and remembers who she is. That's what revival is. Because the church is a spiritual entity. The church is the one expression in a world where everything is shaken and nothing remains. The church is the one expression of what cannot be shaken and what will eternally remain. So revival is when the church recaptures her identity. Normally, we we are so drenched in the water of the world that we forget our identity. Revival is when we remember our identity. Revival is when the church stops sipping from the same old water of the world and the church really lays hold of the precious wine of the gospel, of the blood of Jesus Christ. When we know that our God is a consuming fire and we know, that everything around us will be shaken and nothing will remain, but Jesus Christ and his church will remain. In revival, God makes old things new. God gives new power and new spiritual awareness where we have grown worldly and bored. And thus revival reanimates the church to make it a spiritual and moral influence in society. That's why in the revival in Acts chapter 2, Thousands were added to the church. That's why in the revival in Acts chapter 4, the way the church loved each other and the way that church demonstrated the reality of the gospel caused the church to grow. The first attitude, as we have been unplugged and now we plug back in, is an attitude of expectancy of spirit filled revival. John Stott used to tell the church where he was vicar in uh, All Souls, London. He used to tell the church uh, something like this. I have prayed to God for revival, but since you're the church I want to see revival in, I want to also tell you what you need to do to be ready for that. And this is what John Stott used to say. If all the sleeping folks would wake up and all the lukewarm would fire up, if all the quarrelsome folks would make up and all the gossipers would shut up, if all the dishonest folks would own up, and all the cowardly would begin to speak up, then it may well be that God will revive this church. Beloved, we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving this kingdom. And let us not drop the precious wine of the gospel for more infighting and more uh, political freaking out of the water of the things of the world. The first attitude is that of spirit-filled revival. The second is an attitude of unity and humility. The second is an attitude of unity and humility. For this, let's turn to Philippians chapter 2 an attitude of unity and humility. And in defining our points, and not only what they affirm, but what they deny, what this means is an attitude of unity and humility, not one of fighting and pride. Not one of fighting and pride. You know Philippians too. I mean, you, you know it. If you do it, it's a different question, but you know it. He says in Philippians 2, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. And then he he says, the way to do this is to see how Christ has done this. And in verses four and following, he, he unfolds the canonic uh, theology of the incarnation in showing us what Jesus has done. And then he shows the glory of Jesus that through humility, Jesus has received the name at which every uh, knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And then when he wraps it up, He says, keep working on these things, keep working on these things because it's God that works in you, verse 13. And then look at what he says to you, church, verse 14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Our second attitude of humility and unity Is really the same or the necessary step for our first attitude of spirit filled revival. Because it is only as we manifest humility and unity, it's only when we do that, that we shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse and proud and factious and warring generation. The church proves the gospel. We can yak about the gospel. We can speak about the gospel. But the humility, the love, the purity of the church proves the gospel. The church is to be, in the words of the, of the philosophers, an alternative plausibility structure. Everybody who's unbelieving in the world has a plausibility structure that the flesh is how I'm gratified and pride is how I get what I want and all down the line. The church is to actually embody an alternative plausibility structure where to be humble is to be joyful and to lay down one's life is glorious. The Christian community in the church is what makes Uh, the the gospel that we preach plausible and uh, believable, so to speak. After all, if we are preaching a gospel of a humble savior, then what would it be like if someone opens up the door and everyone in the church is proud? What would it be like if we were preaching the gospel? And in verse verse 2, Everyone in the church had a different mind and was backbiting the other people that didn't agree with them. And nobody in church had the same love for others, and nobody in church was in one accord about anything, but they were all fighting. And what would it be like if in the church, verse 3, every member did what they did out of selfish ambition? Then the church would disprove the gospel. But the design here is that the church would shine as the light in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And the way the church does that is that she manifests unity and humility. Instead of by her selfish actions denying and disproving the selfless love of Christ, the church by her selfless and humble actions proves the selfless love of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus wants. Brennan sang it, didn't he? Jesus said in John 13, by this, by this, it'll be proven, Jesus said. By this, it'll be proven. By this, all people will know. It's it's like I'm stepping away so the lightning won't strike. Because these are the words of Jesus. But let's be honest. They almost seem crazy. That Jesus would hinge his credibility on your ability to get along with her and his ability to get along with him? It's like, don't be mad, but that doesn't seem like a great plan, Lord, because I've seen the way these people are. And yet Jesus says, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. It is the glorious plan of the Son of God to leverage his reputation on your ability to love. Therefore, the Holy Son of God shed his blood and ascended to heaven to rip out of you the heart of stone that was so unloving and to place within you the Holy Spirit of God, which is a pulsating heart of flesh from which comes the very love of God. This is the reality of the gospel. I don't want you to miss for a minute that I'm just up here cranky that you're not getting along. I am up here saying the Son of God ascended to heaven so that you would have a new heart from which that heart would flow the reality of the wine and the love and the joy of the kingdom of God. I'm I'm, I'm not even just saying do better at getting along. I'm saying you will. You will. Because Jesus really has risen. And the promise of the Son and the Father to send forth the Holy Spirit has been fulfilled. So walk in it. Don't you think that loving each other is it's just one of those Christian-y things that we're all happy to talk about, but none of us can really do. I always remember that line. Everybody wants to change the world. Nobody wants to help with the dishes, right? Let the church be the church. Hashtag, let the church be the church. Everybody's into that. But let one member of the church go out of her way to be really sweet to that other person of the church who annoys her the most. Oh, no, I can't do that. What are you talking about? You're crazy. Everybody, everybody, everybody wants the love to take over the world. There's a, one of my favorite novels, I guess because I identify with it so much, is uh, Brothers Karamazov Dostoevsky, and he has a character in that novel. Not that I identify with this, but he has a character in that novel who says... I love mankind in my dreams. But I essentially he says but I cannot stay in a room with another human being for an hour without being annoyed by them. This character says in my dreams I often I often so far think that I will so passionately serve mankind that I would die for them. But then I see how this man next to me chews too loudly while he is eating and I cannot love him. That's, that is so human. And the scripture says that they will know us, and they will know the reality of their resurrection by our love one for another. Again, everybody wants to save the world. Nobody wants to help with the dishes. Everybody wants the church to be loving. Don't, I mean, I'm, tr- I'm trying to be so clear. In order for the church to be loving, you, second person singular, I'm talking to you. In order for the church to be loving, you have to find a way to love that other church member who has a different opinion about masks than you do. You have to, you have to, you have to love them. It doesn't mean you have to agree with them about the nature of the morbidity of coronavirus or, or trump or whatever you can have various opinions about all those things but you have to find a way in humility to love one another the actual persons who chew too loudly when they eat we want the church to change the world but specifically what that means is you need to change your attitude toward that other church member with whom you're annoyed If 2020 has done anything, and 2020 had done a lot of things, right? We're just waiting for the monkeys to come from outer space and and shoot lasers at us. I don't know what else is going to happen next. But if 2020 has done anything, it has given each one of us more reasons to, to, to be differentiated from the rest of us. And so this scripture says... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. The problem is not that we have differences of opinion. The problem is if those relative differences of opinion and the weight that we assign to them cause us to be proud or factious or unloving toward other persons for whom Christ died. There is a way To have a difference of opinion from another person and yet to still be united with them in the love of God in Jesus Christ. And I know most of y'all have found that way. I have imperfectly found it, but I'm working on it. We all gotta do that together. Unity and humility in the gospel. That's the second. Attitude. The third attitude is really just like it, but from kind of a leadership standpoint. If the second attitude is unity and humility, well, then let's just say that the third attitude is one of submission to God ordained authority. Submission to God ordained authority. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be of no advantage to you. Or 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 7, a precious text about humility given in a context of elders shepherding the flock. He says, he exhorts the elders among you to shepherd the flock Shepherd, the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, First Peter 5:3, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves all of you with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And this third point of submission to God-ordained authority, it's, uh, we could, our world could freak out in so many ways about the word submission or the concept of authority, but I'm, I'm telling you, it is, it's, it's not difficult. It's not controversial biblically. It's very clear. God created the world, so he owns it and he's in authority over it. And the Bible is very clear, very clear, that a day is coming, oh Lord, may it be soon, when God himself, with the name on his, strapped with a sword on his thigh, he, God himself, the son of God will come down and all the kingdoms of the world will become the kingdoms of Christ and he will reign here. In this meantime, God has said, I've ordained governing authorities, and you should not rebel against them, but rather you should submit to them. And in the meantime, God has said in Hebrews 13, 1 Peter 5, Acts 20, in the church, Jesus is the head of the church. And it, until he gets back, Jesus has entrusted the leadership of that church to the elders of the church. This is, this is it's almost unarguable biblically, it's just so simple and so clear. And a spirit of submission to God-given authorities is a fundamental feature of Christian living. If you refuse to submit to authority, then you uh, you lose all credibility as a Christian. How, how how else could it be? For to become a Christian is to say what Jesus is Lord, which is a statement of submission. In Hebrews 13, when he says submit to your leaders, in that that context, in Hebrews 13, he the author of Hebrews is pleading with a congregation that is drifting away from faithfulness to God and the gospel. And he says, if you refuse to submit to the authorities in the church, that will speed your drifting away from the gospel. But if in a godly way you submit to the authorities in the church, that will keep you anchored in the kingdom which cannot be shaken. So uh, again, to be just as, to not have you guess like what I'm talking about, but to be a, as, as, as clear as uh, I can be. So many features of our doctrinal statement are crystal clear biblically, and we're like, everyone has to believe this, and this is what we stand on. So many decisions that we have made vis-a-vis uh, COVID-19 and how to space the chairs and masks and whether or not to put the temperature on the kids when they go, like all oh, so many other decisions, they're not like the deity of Christ. Everyone has to have the same opinion. <laughs> they're debatable matters. You, 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 the church has to kind of figure out something and go with it. So to be, to be as... as I want to talk about submission to leadership, and thankfully, I don't have to, like, um, go to a seminar or read a book, because by God's goodness, I've been in leadership in this church for, like, 20 years, and I have had trouble submitting to other leaders, and some people in this church have had trouble submitting to me, and we've sort of gotten sideways but we've both stayed in Jesus and we've both stayed in relationship and we've worked it out. So I can talk about these things, not from a standpoint of theory, but from a simple standpoint of practice. Probably a dozen times. So in, in the year 2020, easily a dozen times, probably two dozen times. I've met with church members who were in the process of disagreeing with me or with a decision that the elders made easily a couple dozen times. And uh, I'd, I'd like to say all of those meetings have gone well. I haven't been stabbed yet. And I haven't, uh, I haven't picked up the stapler in my office and flung it at someone. You know, we've, th- we haven't come to blows. But in, in almost every one of those meetings, and some of you are here, like, so you can tell me if I'm lying. I think in every one of those meetings... I've said, not just to say it, but I've said from my heart, you know, principled principled disagreement uh, stated clearly to, to me between the two of us uh, is a gift that you are giving to me. And I appreciate you taking the relational risk and the personal risk to come in and disagree with me. But this is a gift That you would come and talk to me about these things. And so I want to listen. Maybe it's you said this in the sermon and I don't think it's quite right, or the elders decided this and I would rather we did that. And so I'll listen. And then after listening, because it is important to listen, I'll say, well, just so you know, what I was thinking or what the elders were thinking was this and this and that. And maybe we can come to the same mind about the matter, or maybe we can't. But The point is, after I listen and we talk, the point is that meeting ought to end, and it almost, almost always does, that meeting ought to end with the the person that's in disagreement saying, well, I appreciate you letting me lay out the way I feel about this, but I know I'm I'm a member of this family, I'm a member of this church. And if we've decided that this is the way that we're going as a church, well, this is my family, this is my church, and we'll just, we'll keep going that way together even if I don't see it exactly the same way that you do. And 99 times out of 100, that's what's happening. And I just want to commend that, and I want to lay that out there that this, we expect this to continue. And this is a good thing. This is a good thing. So unity and humility, they go right alongside of this proper submission But let me quickly give you the fourth, which is the best, the fourth attitude, which is the best one of all. And the fourth attitude comes from Hebrews 12, verses one and two. And the fourth attitude is a focus on Jesus, a focus on Jesus. Hebrews 12, therefore, since we've surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The right attitude as we restart everything is a focus on Jesus. Jesus did something amazing. He turned water into wine. Let not the church do something pathetic. And that is, instead of focusing on Jesus, who for the joy set before him, instead of focusing on the purity of the blood of Jesus and the wine of the gospel, let not the church get so distracted by every little puddle of water in the world. I want us to have our best fall and winter ever. Focusing on Jesus and pulling others in our community to focus their eyes on Jesus. 2020 has been such a strange year. And yet strange times are the best times for gospel reality. Because like the first text we looked at, God says, uh, I'm a consuming fire. God says, my kingdom is an unshakable kingdom and everything in this world is shaking. And in non-strange times, we forget that everything in the world is shaking and we're just so comfortable and everything's fine. But it's in strange times when everything in the world is shaking that we can recognize together, we don't just have the water that everyone else has. We don't just have the shakable stuff that everybody else has. We have Jesus. And so let's focus on Jesus. You know that guy. You know that guy. That guy is that guy who, whatever you're talking about, he's gonna find a way to bring it back to the fact that a vaccine has been developed, but a secret society led by Bill Gates is keeping the vaccine from us, and da 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 da. You know that guy? whatever you're talking about, the brewers or how you broke your arm, he's going to bring it back to Donald Trump. You know that guy? Let's be that guy with Jesus. How about that? Let's be that guy with Jesus. All these other things, they ma- well, I don't know if some of the conspiracy theories matter, but the, the next election in the United States of America, it matters, okay? It matters. And it is also the case that Psalm 146 says, put not your trust in princes. Put not your trust in a man in whom there is no salvation. On the day a man's breath departs, he goes into the ground. And Psalm 146 says, all of the plans of that man perish with him. We have had enough of the shakeable kingdoms and the water puddles of the world. We have been given the unshakable kingdom of the wine of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's be that guy about Jesus. There's a, a line in George Whitfield's journals that has always haunted me and I've never I learned it a long time ago, and I've never reached it, but I'm still trying. And George Whitfield, not, not in a sermon like that he was saying what he wanted to do, but in his journal where he was privately pouring out his heart, George Woodfield said, God forbid that I should converse with a man for a quarter of an hour and not mention to him his soul and my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, God forbid that I would converse with a woman or a man for a quarter of an hour and not mention to her her soul, not mention to him my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been given the wine of the gospel. Let us not fill our cups with the water of the world. We have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us demonstrate the reality of the gospel with the way that we focus on Jesus, by the way that we show the the reality of submission in a world of rebellion, by the way we shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation because of our inability to become disunited from one another, because of our humility and our unity in the Lord Jesus Christ. And let all of this lead to a spirit-filled revival giving us our best end of the year, fall, winter, ever. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, even now, what your church does not yet understand, show us. And Holy Spirit, even now, what your church does not yet have, give to us by your presence. And Holy Spirit, even now, what your church is not yet, make us. For the sake of Jesus Christ, who is risen and ascended, and for the sake of this community that is dying in a world that is shaking, show us who we are and revive us. For Jesus' sake, amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.